there, podcast listener. I'm DC Benincasa with Missouri Business Alert. You're used to hearing the Speaking Startup podcast here, but for the next couple months, we're going to bring you something a little different, a new podcast called Market Dives. We'll dive into big developments across business, politics, sports, and more, explain the economic forces driving them, and help you understand why they matter in Missouri. We're excited to bring you this new show, and we hope you'll give it a listen. Now here's Market Dives. While 2021 brought significant economic recovery from the early months of the pandemic, the year was also filled with rising prices, supply chain disruptions, and labor shortages. So what can we expect in 2022? In this episode of Market Dives, we talk to a variety of experts from across the state to understand the indicators to watch out for in 2022. Welcome to Market Dives, a podcast that examines big economic stories and explains their effect on the show-me state. I'm DC Benincasa, and I am once again joined by my co-host, Coleman Mitchell. How does it feel to be winding down the year? I can't believe how fast it has flown by. We can start our conversation with a topic you've probably heard about this year, labor shortages. And one indicator to focus on is the gap between new job openings and hires. DC, you did a little reporting on this, right? Yep. The economy has rebounded faster from the pandemic than some experts predicted. In just the second quarter of 2021, real gross domestic product exceeded its pre-pandemic level. But companies are still facing labor shortages that are disrupting the supply chain, pushing up prices and increasing wait times. And the gap between job openings and hires illustrates this labor shortage problem? Yes. The number of job openings is outpacing the number of hires, showing that the demand for labor is greater than the supply. Job openings increased by 431,000 to 11 million nationally at the end of October. This is the second most openings in history. While job openings increased, hires remained relatively flat at 6.5 million in October. What's the reason for this labor shortage? Well, how much time do you have, Coleman? Labor shortages have been prevalent throughout the pandemic, and it's something we've talked about a few times on this podcast. What are the experts saying about labor shortages as we head into 2022? Frank Lank is the Director of Research Services at the Mid-America Regional Council, a nonprofit association of city and county governments in Kansas City, at an economic forecast conference put on by the Greater Kansas City Chamber of Commerce earlier this month, Lank said the labor shortage actually initiated before the pandemic, from baby boomers retiring. What's changed really back before the pandemic in the the mid-2010s um, is that we start having labor shortages, systemic labor shortages, and that's largely the result of baby boomers retiring. And so we've had a labor shortage building for a very long time, and the pandemic has just made it a lot worse. But that that difference between um, uh, the openings and the hires uh, creates incentive for folks to quit. I mean, there's lots of jobs out there. DC, how do we close the gap between job openings and hires? Well, that's a question you could get paid millions of dollars to answer. But one solution is to increase the pool of workers. And one method to do that is creating policies that make it easier for immigrants to enter and work in the country. Mira Midivani runs the Midivani Corporate Immigration Law Firm in the Kansas City area. She says employers frequently go to her firm for consultation about bringing in workers from overseas. Well, the reality of this is uh, our laws make it very difficult, almost impossible to do it so. And for those positions that can be outsourced, Uh, despite employers' wishes 
to, to leave them here or to bring them back, uh, they have to outsource, especially now that the pandemic has shown that people can work from Colorado or from, let's say, India. Uh, desperate employers will continue to outsource against their wishes. The Chamber of Commerce um, at the national level has sued the Department of Homeland Security for uh, unavailability of, for example, H-1B visas or for taking over a year for work permits for, for folks with master's degree in computer science and so on. And while we are getting some victories at that level, uh, decisions by judges are, are a hollow because implementing those is what, what is uh, uh, impossible under current uh, immigration law and policy and also attitudes. I think we are, we are digging our own grave, not understanding how deep the labor shortages are and pretending that somehow they will be filled by, by workers who are going to be dragged back from retirement. Another method for boosting the supply of workers is increasing flexibility. By offering more flexible work arrangements, employers effectively increase the pool of prospective workers to fill their jobs. Angelique Nedved is the director of school quality at School Smart KC, a nonprofit focused on improving student achievement for public school students. Nedved says it might be important to challenge the status quo in order to attract more workers. When you think about the work week, is there an opportunity to offer a Monday or a Friday off, thus you get that three-day weekend. You think about what you can accomplish in a three-day weekend. If you can also take care of your, your business trips or your doctor's appointment on that Monday or Friday, then you alleviate some of that pull from the typical workday. So I, I believe that there is a real opportunity here to start to poke at some of the things we've always done because we've always done it that way. While these are long-term solutions, it will be important to monitor the gap between job openings and hires as we head into next year. For our next indicator, we turn to an industry that employs almost half a million people in Missouri and contributes about $100 billion in economic impact, agriculture. Coleman, what do you find there? One big indicator that farmers and agriculture economists are concerned about is the cost of fertilizer. It has more than doubled over the last year. The pandemic has caused supply chain issues, making it more expensive to produce some of Missouri's most important commodities like corn, soybeans, and wheat. Fertilizer prices have a prominent impact on that. That's interesting. What has led to price hikes of fertilizer? I spoke with Patrick Westoff, a University of Missouri professor who specializes in agricultural economic forecasting. Westoff said a strong international demand for American crops is contributing to the situation. The cost of chemicals that go into fertilizers are another big factor. This becomes problematic because fertilizer is an essential component for the production of several commodities. Its price impacts the bottom line for farms. Here's Westoff. So fertilizer is probably one that is getting a lot of people's attention right now. The price of the, the most common types of fertilizer that people use here in the Midwest have in some cases doubled in the last several months. Uh, it's a combination of strong demand because high prices for what farmers sell means they want to buy the best inputs to try to get the best possible uh, production. But it's also because of some changes in other countries where countries have restricted their exports of, of fertilizer. The higher natural gas prices had a big effect because natural gas is the input in making the most important type of nitrogen fertilizer. It sounds like a bottleneck that has a big effect on the production process. How much more expensive is it to produce these staple crops? Since 2020, the cost to produce a bushel of corn has increased 18 percent, 
Soybeans and wheat have risen 17%. Wow, that's a steep jump. Yeah, and meanwhile, the end of record high government subsidies is putting financial pressure on farmers. With these payments gone, farmers have significantly less support to offset the rising input costs. Here's Westoff again. We have very large payments made to farmers and other people in the sector in 20 and 2020 and in 2021 mm-hmm. to offset pandemic effects. So we had a record level of government payments to the farm sector in 2020, $46 billion, which was not only a record, but a record by you know, tens of billions of dollars over the previous uh, standard that had been set. This year's payments are much smaller because we, we took away some of those special one-time ad hoc programs. And those payments will probably decline even further in 2022, unless there's a policy change we don't know about today. So that's one very important thing for farmers' bottom line. Next, we turn to the oil fields of Texas and their impact on Missouri. Our third indicator is the West Texas Intermediate Crude Oil Price. Well, you probably have heard more about gas prices, but the WTI is the main metric to measure oil prices. They are an important part of the average household's budget. When gas prices go up a lot, it cuts into people's budgets. They can't spend as much on other things, uh, and they, as a result, they cut their spending and it hurts the overall American economy. That's Victor McFarland, a professor at the University of Missouri's Department of History. He researches the history of the energy industry, especially the oil industry. Well, I've noticed it's cost me more to fill up my car as the year has gone on. Just how much have gas prices increased this year? Oil prices have surged in 2021. In October, West Texas Intermediate Crude Futures eclipsed a price of $80 per barrel for the first time since late 2014. Prices rose to that seven-year high from around $40 per barrel one year earlier. And gas prices have followed suit. However, McFarland says this increase is just a return to the mean as the beginning of the pandemic created historically low oil prices. People just stopped traveling during the pandemic. Folks were working from home. They were... uh, they were getting their schooling from home. So they were using Zoom a lot more and they were using their cars a lot less. Air travel just cratered. Uh, so a lot of flights were canceled. Jet fuel wasn't being used. That cut oil demand a lot. People weren't taking vacations. Uh, so oil demand was abnormally low in 2020 and early 2021. McFarland says now we are just seeing the economy bounce back. Uh, It's actually bounced back faster than some folks predicted. Uh, And so gasoline prices have gone back up and oil prices have as well. Oil prices are a little bit over $70 a barrel right now. Uh, And for a while during the pandemic last year, they were actually down in the 20s. So mostly what we're seeing right now is just the economy recovering from these very unusual low oil demand conditions last year. Uh, But I do want to emphasize that prices are not actually very low in a longer term view. They're they're not actually very high, rather, in a longer term view. Uh, They're still relatively low. While the economic ramifications of gas prices are important, McFarland also says gas prices play a big role in the public's confidence in the economy. People notice when gas prices are high. So there will be political repercussions. Uh, For example, I think it will be bad for the Biden administration if oil prices go up and gasoline prices go up. That's just something that people will notice. It will feed into their perception that inflation is, uh, is increasing right now. When the public's trust in the economy goes down, economic growth often stagnates. Well, I know we've talked about how gas prices have increased dramatically this year. 
Does McFarland anticipate them to continue increasing into the next year? While it's impossible to perfectly predict gas prices, McFarland says he anticipates prices to moderately increase because new oil investment decreased significantly during the pandemic. Reinvestment rates among U.S. shale oil producers hit an all-time low in the third quarter of 2021, according to Rystad Energy, an independent energy research company. This decrease in oil investment leads to a decrease in supply of oil, causing an increase in prices in the future. In order to keep gas prices from rising out of control, McFarland says it will be important for the government and energy industry to transition to renewable energy to decrease the demand for oil. You have to couple it with supply side policies, with things like policies that make it more affordable for people to buy electric vehicles and that increase the number of electric vehicle charging stations across the country. So it's not just wealthy folks who can afford a Tesla Model S, but it's ordinary Americans who can afford electric vehicles and don't have to worry about whether an EV can actually replace their internal combustion engine vehicle. So we need policies like that. We need policies to electrify everything, to switch out natural gas burning uh, stoves for induction stoves or electric stoves to switch out uh, gas burning furnaces for heat pumps. Uh, We need policies like that that make renewable energy affordable um, so that fossil fuel prices are just less important to the average American. And while we are on the topic of transitioning to cleaner energy, let's pivot to our next indicator, Electric vehicle charging stations. EV charging stations? Why is it important to keep an eye on that number? EV adoption is rising across the state, and the next several years could prove crucial to supporting a broader transition. Right now, Missouri is the ninth most charging stations in the U.S., with more than 2,000. But experts estimate that number will need to grow by 8,000 by 2030 to adequately support electric vehicles with the way demand is growing. Is there anything to look at in the interim for the short-term outlook? There is. So currently, electric vehicle market share in the U.S. sits at 2%, but it is expected to grow to 10% by 2025 and all the way up to 58% in 2040. That growth is going to happen gradually, but it will require investment in infrastructure to make sure Missouri is ready for that increase. Travis Wood is the policy and program manager for the Missouri Energy Initiative. At one of the group's events earlier this month, Wood said most of Missouri's charging ports are centered in urban areas, which presents a bit of a problem. Deployment gaps, these are not, um, you know, only associated with Missouri. These are issues that are being faced nationally. But, uh, you know, rural areas, multifamily dwellings, um, there are issues with attracting investment as well as uh, complexity and, and issues that need to be, you know, figured out to to fill these gaps. But I think it's safe to say that Um, At least at this point, uh, being intentional about filling these gaps is is part of um, solving that problem. So if this is clearly an identified issue, what is preventing companies from expanding into these rural areas? Well, there are a multitude of factors that affect the decision making. But the big thing that everyone is having to consider is the high upfront costs it will take to make inroads in rural communities and how the payoff might be slow and gradual. Through the stakeholder uh, interviews that we conducted, um, you know, identified some, you know, deployment obstacles and deployment gaps uh, that will need to be addressed as, as Missouri moves forward with the transition to a more electrified future for transportation. Um, main obstacles highlighted by stakeholders were high upfront costs of charging stations. 
especially DC fast charging stations. Uh, return on investment issues and, and uh, related to that EV adoption issues um, and, and lack of statewide uh, coordination. While there will be high upfront costs, it will be important to watch how fast the investment in electric vehicle infrastructure grows heading into next year. And with that, we have reached the halfway point for our end-of-year economic outlook. We have four more economic indicators still to cover, and we'll have those for you in our next episode of Market Dives. As always, thank you to Horse Lords for providing the music for this episode, and thank you so much for listening this week. This is Market Dives, a KBIA and Missouri Business Alert podcast. For my co-host Coleman Mitchell and producers Ian Laird, Connor Giffen, and Emily Hood, I'm DC Benincasa. Talk to you next time.